Hello. Hello. Cool. Hello, everybody. Um, so welcome to the, this is the lunch track. It's pretty legit. Uh, the Think Distributed podcast live at Recon. So we did this at Strange Loop, and it worked out pretty well. So we're doing it again. It's going to be awesome. And uh, so I'm going to moderate this. Uh, I'm Chris Micklejohn. I work at Basho. Um, we, have, we have an expert panel of thought leaders here. I don't know how I was able to get all five of them on, the de on this like, little podium at the same time. So it's really impressive. So uh, why don't we just have everybody uh, introduce themselves quickly. So Andy. I'm Andy Gross, Chief Architect at Basho. Derp, herp, derp. Yeah, Andy Gross, Chief Architect at Basho. Peter Bayless, a graduate student at UC Berkeley. Joe Blumstead, yeah, Joe Blumstead, Jay Tupel Online, uh, engineer at Basho. Uh, what Peter said, the Delta's the last name, Alvaro. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Jeff Hodges, a distributed systems engineer at Twitter. Sweet. Okay, so uh, I guess the topic of discussion today is going to be uh, distributed systems wish list. So we're going to kind of have everybody go through and talk about, you know, what they think could be better, what's missing, what's horribly, horribly broken. Um, so let's start with uh, Mr. Gross. Um, if you've seen any of my other talks, I've ranted a while about reusable um, uh, consensus libraries, but it seems that um, I was actually pretty amazed, and I don't know if Diego's here, but I don't know if Diego's freaked out too about the sort of explosion of interest in Raft and things like uh, etcd and um, uh, the, I don't know, there's a bunch of other services implemented uh, using the Go version of Raft. So not so much a comment, but more of an observation that in a pretty short time, a really big sort of community has grown around this protocol, and I think it hits right on with sort of the, the goal of the paper and being understandable. Uh, maybe it was just new and people felt, you know, they would try to implement it, uh, but it's just been fascinating to see the, the number of Raft implementations and services that have sprung up in, in a pretty short time, less than a year. So I think, yeah, I too am really excited about, well, you talked about this in the consensus episode of Think Distributed, but I think it's awesome that essentially what was once a, well, still a hard problem, still a hard um, system to implement, basically a consensus register uh, is actually being, or consensus register is actually being like built in a lot of production systems now. It's not just use ZooKeeper, and that's the end of the story. Um, so that, that's really encouraging. I think that um, when I talk to people in industry a lot, you hear things like failover is a really hard problem, right? And what that means is it's actually hard to implement. Uh, failover, like on paper, is not so bad necessarily, right? You just have to, you need, say, reliable failure detection. So I think that, like, I'm very excited about the fact that, that for instance, if we, if, we saw, if we, quote, solve consensus in terms of making it understandable and easy to implement, I'm hoping that we can basically tackle a lot of these other difficult problems that have solutions necessarily in the literature but have been maybe opaque to end users or people who have to build these systems uh, in real life and deploy them and operate them. Uh, maybe I think we can extend that to a bunch of other interesting problems, probably failure detection being the next one on the list. Hey. Yeah, so um, to continue with that, I mean, I think one of the things that's really interesting right now, too, is, you know, I mean, yes, getting, you know, consensus out there that's understandable that people implement, you know, that's great. But just in general, too, this notion that we have a lot of, we're kind of getting to the point now, like, you know, NoSQL databases and, and, you know, sort of the whole new distributed systems kind of stuff that's come out in sort of the open source community, you know, originally was sort of, well, I'm going to implement something based on paper A and, and do what X. And then over time, things are starting to evolve now to actually do, you know, newer things, you know, I mean, we're adding consensus to React now, yeah, you know, there's other systems that have added that, too, and expanding 
designed it in different ways to sort of say, hey, we can do multiple things. But the cool part is, you know, who cares about, you know, particular companies, you know, win or lose? We now have open source code that does a lot of things, and it does it well in production that people are using today, that from once that's sort of done, the next step is, well, now you can build on that and do even cooler things. And so, you know, there's sort of this way that you can innovate and keep moving sort of the whole thing forward now that we didn't really have in the past, because even in the past, right, you build some proprietary product in some company, and you never see that code if that company comes or goes. And we're kind of getting to the level now where, you know, the open source technology in this area is actually getting mature now and you know, handling things like consensus and good implementations of, you know, eventual consistency and CRDTs and all of that now, where it's kind of like, okay, cool, that's done. Now let's tackle the even harder problems. Um, and the hope, I think, too, is, you know, in the past, you know, some of the comments you kind of, you know, you make fun on Twitter and stuff about, you know, a lot of actual production database and even the stuff that we make here at Vasho, right, is still based on kind of older papers, you know, or even older research, you know, and there's a lot of research that still comes out, and again, it doesn't actually end up, you know, being used. Um, in, you know, for 20 years. And I think that's partially just because, you know, in research, you sort of say, oh, yeah, here's all this previous work in these papers. We can innovate on top of that, you know, assuming all of that. But when you actually have to build a product and ship it, you have to build all that 20 years of stuff to then do the new stuff. And so, you know, you, you always will lag. And so now, you know, the hope I'm hoping, you know, my wish list for distributed systems is sort of get to the point where we're actually not having that lag anymore. You know, we actually have a collaboration between industry and researchers, and it's sort of like, let's actually start shipping this stuff and in production, you know, within a year or two, or, you know, within at least, you know, a lifetime um, and a professional lifetime. And so that's sort of what I'm hoping for is that we get that, which is this compounding thing. And I think a lot of that's going to come from, you know, sort of this fact that a lot is open source, you know, and we have conferences like this now where we all talk about this stuff and try to do interdisciplinary, you know, work. So. I'm going to echo everything that's been said before. <laughs> as, uh, as someone who struggled uh, first to understand, then to implement, and ultimately to teach Paxos, I'm super excited about the idea of understandable consensus algorithms and consensus abstractions that people can just go ahead and use. And now that we've made some huge steps in the last couple of years, thanks, Diego, in, in that work, I think we should be focusing on what I think is a harder and more important question, which is not how to implement consensus, but when to use it, or specifically, when not to use it. This is a community that, to some extent, is a direct inheritor of, of the Dynamo paper, right? <laughs> All these people read this great paper and have figured out different ways to exploit this kitchen wisdom about when you can get away with weaker consistency models, right? Yeah. I think it would be great if we spent some time over the next five years, this is really my main wish, um, thinking really hard about what that kitchen wisdom is, what, how, how, how do we formalize those design patterns, how do we get a rich theory behind it, and how do we sort of expose the right tooling so that people can, people can avoid doing consensus when they don't need to. Okay, cool. Uh, since the two academics here have not been willing to pitch their own work, I will pitch it for them. Uh, I would actually like a productionized Bloom implementation that is actually something or something like it as a framework to build out distributed systems that are easier. I see Andy Gross nodding over there, because yeah. Like uh, there was a tweet I made a while back that this feels like whenever I have to explain that like distributed systems are the future, like they're not just the future, they're already here. Like you have to be doing them already and thinking about them. And they look at me like I'm crazy and it feels like I'm talking to the, trying to tell people how to like, how writing is awesome and you should write things down and they're great. And that like is a thing that like writing languages outside of your head is a good idea and we should make that easier and simpler. And on top of that, we need to make that easier and simpler because I'm a little hepped up right now uh, because the, it, some documents just got released that the NSA has been tapping the backhaul links of uh, Google and Yahoo's data centers, 
where their Google front ends do decryption of TLS, SSL, coming in through the web traffic, and then send it to a different data center, which happens a lot. Um, and I will say, uh, unspecific to any company, but that is a great majority of leading web companies do that, where because encryption is really expensive. And then they send off to another DC, and of course, turns out that TSA is actually tapping that, where that used to be a private line, and expected to be. So that means that we have a whole series of problems that come later, after we've figured out how to go multi-DC, how we can actually recover from massive failures that are involved like cryptography, privacy, like we have policy questions that like we need to be able to address as distributed systems engineers that we spend so much time in the muck and mire of like the BSD sockets API to like figure out like the rest of this going forward. Yeah. Cool. So uh, maybe we can kind of just talk about what the you know um, to to Jay Tubal's point, just like the, the challenges um, bridging this like kind of gap between industry and academia and getting getting that to a process to work a little bit better and have more of a feedback loop and more software being developed and stuff like that. Sure, and this is sort of going on to my earlier point about Raft, and it seems like every distributed, some, I imagine some people get sick of it, like hearing about Raft after a while, but I think Raft is sort of a proxy for a previously sort of arcane set of literature that became understandable. Um, and what, what Peter said about failure detection, if you go look at that literature, it's, you, you can't understand it. So I think you'll have an equal sort of community rise up around you know, the understandable failure detector uh, paper as well. Um, I don't remember what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> Bridging the gap. Well, right, yes. So, you know, revisit some of these fundamental, you know, areas of distributed systems and, and give them the sort of raft treatment. So, uh, I agree, Andy, but on the same note, right, the p picture that you just painted is basically one where academia is vomiting stuff on top of, in, 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 the, sense that, in the sense that it's a one-way, what you describe is a one-way exchange, right? So, we throw papers over the ivory wall and then expect people to, you know, and, and we expect people to, to use them. And even if we were to write beautifully understandable papers like Diego's papers, right, that still wouldn't solve all of the world's problems because I think it's important that academics also listen to industrial folk. Essentially, people who are running the systems in production have insights that essentially we, dealing in the realm of, say, beautiful abstractions like consensus registers, might fail to appreciate. So towards Peter's point, right, yes, we can define a consensus register, and we can prove a bunch of properties about what's achievable and what's not achievable in a given environment. And we can come up with good algorithms for achieving this. The question is, do you want the abstractions that we're proposing? And if we live in a vacuum where, say, we just define these beautiful abstractions, but we don't think about how they're actually used and employed in the real world, then I think we're missing out on an opportunity. Uh, and the opportunity is essentially to understand what do application demands require and how do we build abstractions for the future that essentially enable us to build more useful both pieces of theory and also pieces of code. So towards, I'm actually not a, you know, a co-author on this stuff, but towards that, right, like uh, the, the Bloom work looking essentially saying, well, gosh, Dynamo's talking about these merge functions. Um, can we come up with, say, a safe class of merge functions, this monotonic logic, which, which is similar to what Lindsay talked about yesterday? Can we actually extract design patterns, extract basically common pieces of, uh, of, of wisdom, pull them into new abstractions, like, say, monotonic, monotonic convergent programs, and instead start a new 
discussion in academia about the stuff that you guys are doing. So it's really not a one-way street. Do you think that applicability, like the notion of you know whether what you're working on is like applicable or purely theoretical, do you think the the sort of expectations about that have changed recently? I think it would depend on the community in a, in a large sense. Um, there are certainly communities that are that are happy to and indeed should be able to work on problems that they think are beautiful for the sake of you know intellectual curiosity, right? Like. Many branches of abstract mathematics don't necessarily apply to modern, you know, everyday uh, reality, but but we should still study them because it's exciting to explore the boundaries of human knowledge. In terms of stuff that you guys all care about, and the fact that you would probably come to a conference for, yes, I think that it's important that we work on important problems in at least some sub subset of academia. Um, and and I will say uh, to the credit of the academic community, there's increasing recognition of projects that essentially span this span this, uh, this gap. And, and so for instance, one really great example, again, tooting the UC Berkeley horn, there's a project called Spark, which is essentially iterative in-memory data flow. And not only is the project now actually the source code deployed and in production at Intel, Yahoo, Foursquare, a bunch of other companies, it also was recognized by the academic community as essentially a community award at essentially one of the top conferences in the field, in the uh, network systems field specifically for releasing the code and having, quote, broader community impact, right? So people, people are caring, and uh, the more we do it, I think the more people will pay attention. Yeah, I think one of the, this is this on, right? Okay, can you hear myself? Um, I think one of the things too that's actually interesting with this is, um, <clears throat> I mean, we've had for a while, you know, some industry, you know, you have industry papers basically that come out that are still well received, you know, they get into top conferences, top journals, people, you know, Dynamo is a paper, you have everything Google publishes every couple of years, you know, which a lot of times is basically just, here's what we built at Google, um, and, you know, and we need it to handle the scale. Sometimes there's an interesting novel thing in there, sometimes not as much. Um, but, it, you know, there is a lot of work on sort of applicable, you know, in some cases these are industry how-to papers. Here's how we took research, and here's all our references, and here's how we built a system that actually we can deploy. And then, of course, everyone loves those papers, because they can then say, hey, I can build that thing now. Um, and, you know, you get open source clones and whatnot. And so we have, we have some history there with that, you know, and so I think one of the things in, in the industry side too is for everyone in industry, and this includes even our the smaller companies, you know, and stuff that are still growing, is to start thinking about, you know, publishing work ourselves that have sort of use cases attached to them and also sort of here's what we learned actually building this in production. Because, I mean, yes, in, talking to academics, you know, one-on-one -on -one and, you know, hanging out with Peter Bayless and those guys or something and saying, hey, here's what you guys at Berkeley should be doing, here's our feedback, that's great for that group. But it doesn't disseminate that knowledge to the wider ecosystem of academics where, you know, when Google and those guys publish a paper, it says, oh, here's why we did this because it's a hard problem. You know, everyone downloads that paper, reads that paper, and it does influence research direction, you know, in different groups. And so one thing I think on the industry side we can do is be more upfront. You know, research papers sometimes are hard to publish. If that's something, you know, you don't want to do that to you're fine. Blog posts, you know, while we're doing that, you know, keep information out there, but really say, you know, here are the challenges you need, you know, we run into building real systems, you know, in production and, and let people know. So, so towards that end, I think that, I, I think it would be wonderful if more folks, say, wrote papers for, uh, it doesn't have to, they don't have to be academic papers, but submitted papers, say, to academic audiences. Because, again, when, when I read an industry paper on an industrial track, I don't expect you guys to come up with a new Paxos variant. I don't expect you guys to, to blow my mind in terms of, say, a new trick that, you know, no one ever thought of, in, in, you know, that, 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 that Nancy Lynch didn't come up with, you know, in 1994. Um, 
I want to know what worked and what didn't work. And your insights that come only from deploying, operating, and building out actual theory are super valuable. So there are tracks in top-tier academic conferences that are strictly devoted to industrial experiences. One particular one you might look into, given this is databases, is the ACM SIGMOD conference. It's basically the top-tier database conference held domestically every year, has an industrial papers track. And the expectation there is that you talk about what you learned and what you, what you would have done differently, not that you had a novel research contribution. And not only does it give you an opportunity to interact with more academics than, say, the two of us on this stage or those of us who are here, but instead a bunch of database features that are hungry for problems, that are looking for real problems. And I'll actually throw out right now, if you are an industrial practitioner and you're interested in submitting one of these papers, I, and I'm sure Peter as well, would be happy to talk with you about what would be appropriate lessons to share with the community and what venues might be most appreciative of your work. Not only does this help you, say, recruit new engineers, it also helps you get academics like me and Peter, who get paid all day to think about hard distributed systems problems, not paid much, but we get paid, <laughs> to work on your problems. So it's essentially free uh, labor from the academic community, if you want to think about it that way. So please, don't hesitate. I'm, I, I offer this out. You know, I, I, I'm offering right now, if, if you want to, send me an email, send me a message on Twitter, and I'm happy to talk with you about what it means to get your work and your experiences published in an academic venue where people will pay attention. Plus one. I have very, I have very little <laughs> to add, so I'll be brief, but I think, um, you know, these bridges are already being built, so I'll give two examples from both, uh, an example from each side of, of how they're being built. Um, outreach for industry is important. We don't know when and who cares about our work. So industry needs to invite us to events like this, <laughs> share their experiences, okay? So this recon and it is an example of outreach that will help. I think the other example on the flip side is Peter Bellis's work. So transparency in research. Peter, when he has a new idea, publishes a paper about it eventually because that's what we have to do. That's how we measure our success and that's how we graduate. Yep. But before he writes that paper, he writes a blog post for a general audience talking about the kernel of the idea, because he wants to share the idea. Then when he does publish that paper, he ships source code too, so that people can go figure out what the hell's going on. So outreach on the industry side and transparency on the, on the research side. We're already building these bridges. We just need to finish them. Uh, I just want to give a big shout out actually to Berkeley, who's always been great. We, we, whenever I've had a problem, I can rely on one of you guys to help me out. It's always been very cool. Uh, and actually, we, we're at an industry conference, so it's really easy to say that academia should change, but I actually think that a lot more of us on the other side behind computer desks should be changing our behavior. Um, I, I mean, like everybody, we always say that we should have more people like us in any given industry, right? And so like, you got like three guys up here who have read a lot of white papers and read a lot of journal articles, um, but that actually seems to be pretty critical to actually evolving this field. And, I would like to figure out how we can how we can actually take like the dumb we are actually even inside the industry itself really bad about talking what's a good idea and what's a bad idea like it's all like very secret and held close because we actually think most of our ideas are pretty bad but they happen what oh yeah it's totally political Andy Gross says it's totally, it's political and it I is mean, I mean yeah. if you share the same venture backer as something that you think is a bad idea it's probably not a good idea to to right. say it right Just I mean for, 
And even inside, a, as an organization grows, like you become, there are things that aren't talked about because there are other people in the org that don't agree with it or whatever, or don't think it's the right way. And so we have to figure out how to like manage that conversation and have that language and, and go forward and have talk about it earlier when we still think it's a bad idea <laughs> hidden on our machine somewhere in a data center <laughs> instead of like waiting until like, it's, oh, this is cool, it's cool, all right, it's fine. And having the conversation earlier, I don't know. I feel like we need to change more. Cool, so I think we have 10 minutes or so left. About 10, okay, so maybe we'll take a few questions before we go on, if anybody has any questions. Does anybody have any questions they'd like to ask? Going once, going twice, nobody? Node.js? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Matt, that, my bad. Um, I had that, uh, a crappy joke in place of any actual uh, idea right there. Uh, fringe tech. I'm going to have to pass. I don't know. I mean, some of the Mesos cluster uh, data center operating system or whatever you want to call it stuff uh, is, is interesting to me. You know, I don't like the term fringe, because fringe kind of sounds like it's way off on the side. But I mean, new stuff. I mean, I think a lot of the work actually that like, the Berkeley guys are doing, particularly like Peter's work here on like, you know, highly available transactions and so forth, we've got to implement that in one of these databases we, we sell. I mean, why not? You know? I mean, come on. So I think that kind of stuff, getting built and being you know, as a product in, say, React and React 3.0 in a year and a half or something, makes a lot of freaking sense. Um, but you know, also, you know, the CRDT work's another example, right? CRDT papers have been out for a while, and then people just now in industry started building stuff, and then now started in implementing stuff and shipping stuff, and you know, we now have that. Um, but there's still a ton of work still being done, and that's an active research field. Um, you know, we talk about Raft, and you know, there's some consensus, and yes, there is a lot of research still being done, and you know, consensus and strong consistency work, but there's a lot of other research going on in sort of this eventual consistency world, too, you know, not just at Berkeley, but around the world, and just keep, taking that, seeing what comes out of it, and you know, building into real systems. I think there's a, a lot to be done there. I think there's also a lot of interesting work, too, and this is, I guess it's also been done in academics as well, but um, uh, it, it was taking these things where you can have, if you have you know, eventual consistent data types, but also some strong consistency, how can you merge these together, build more interesting data types? Um, you know, how can you build queues that you can you know, highly in-queue, but you know, strongly consistently de-queue? And you know, there's more interesting data types, and that's a pretty easy one to build. But um, you know, and there's this interesting thing now, once you build these, again, back to my earlier point, once you build certain building blocks you know, that are already just there, they're tested, you trust them, you can you know, continue up the abstraction layer. Um, and I hope that you know, a lot of the research, I think, does the same thing. So just you know, keep following that and building it. So. So, oh, so, so this is a, um, I know this is a data serving conference, but I actually think there's a lot of exciting work. Uh, if you look at where open source parallel data processing frameworks are going, right? If you look at stuff like NIAD from Microsoft Research, and you look at the way that people are, say, using Storm today, there's a real opportunity, and there's a quick growth, or there's a quick slope that where we're moving into higher and higher levels of the API, right, as more and more people are adopting, say, higher level languages. There's a real opportunity, well, there's a lot of ac actually excellent academic work, first of all, looking at essentially revisiting the data flow abstraction and query planning and so on, but I think it's super exciting to see sort of this, this, this research work and also work like, say, Tez or Impala in parallel that are essentially revisiting, say, parallel data warehousing literature and actually implementing it for arguably the first time or one of the first times in open source products that people are actually deploying at large scale. So 
I think that if you look at, you know, we're moving away from, say, here's your two-stage data flow engine, Go, you know, AKA Hadoop, and moving towards more complex data analysis frameworks, including more abstractions for, say, graph processing and so on, uh, there's a lot of exciting opportunity. So that's a little vague, but uh, I think that literally the fact that people are reading the old textbooks and the fact that we're also realizing that some of the parts of the old textbooks didn't, don't necessarily work at, say, 1,000-node scale, kind of exciting. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the data center operating system thing, because I actually think that's totally, that's actually, data operating systems plus service discovery are actually what are going to lead us into a world where we can figure out our streaming scenario much better than we have before. I'm actually pretty, uh, a lot of the stream processing and work that is going on in interesting Hadoopy libraries is very, how do I put this, type theory-ish and category theory-ish, and that is probably the least interesting application of category theory, and least, I think, useful application of category theory I've ever seen in the industry, and I would much rather, if you want to do category theory or abstract algebra in the industry, go into cryptography, <laughs> not type theory. We need you, like, really bad. And I would actually, and, but we can figure that stuff out. We have, um, there are certain things like Storm and other things that have been useful, but a lot of it can be replicated with, uh, at least at, with Mesos plus server sets and Zookeeper, and you actually have like some protocol in between with a schema that you communicate between the things, and you figure out the processing there. What you don't have is you don't have data locality, and that's the trick. And we actually, that is actually a huge missing piece. We have HDFS, but it's not really a thing. Like you can't really like hook an HDFS and be like, put my code where my data is. Like that's not a thing. Like, <laughs> and it's not super, it's not like I'm gonna do a ton of appends in the Hadoop. You can now, it's better. But we still don't have like, there's a huge, there's huge gaps in the tech. At least if we're trying to replicate in a similar fashion to what Google is doing, which I mean, everybody can, we can just circle jerk about that all day and whether or not that's a good idea even. But yeah, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of stuff that, yeah. Jeff, why isn't it interesting to apply category theory to distributed data, <laughs> streaming data flow? <laughs> Um, I think you get all the power and, uh, and expressiveness of abstract mathematics with all the clarity and conciseness of abstract mathematics. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think I'm quoting an XKCD comic actually at that point. Um, I'm not sure, and I don't know that that's actually, like, that's not how people think. Like, if I see group or category as like a name in my API, I know that I've, I've gone way off the deep end on like what I can actually understand about what's going on inside the process. And like I, like I actually need something, unfortunately I have a very small brain and I need a little bit more help to figure out what's going on. Though I agree that there's like some really good ideas about group theory and we should apply those things, but I've, we go. It's the opposite of the understandable consensus algorithm. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> it's the opposite of the, of the understandable consensus algorithm. It's like, okay, we can build you anything you want as long as you've got a graduate degree in abstract algebra, it's fine, yeah. <laughs> So it's a naming issue. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Two problems. <laughs> Give it nice names. Cool. So I think we got five, seven minutes left. Uh, any other questions? Come on. Somebody's going to have a question. I have another follow-up. Uh, well, let's see if anybody has a new question. If not, we'll go with the follow-up. It's like a redirect, you know? I feel like I'm like in court up here. Anybody? Going once, going twice? OK. You guys are boring. I know. <laughs> Go for it. So as a follow-on to both your talking, you said, yeah. do you all feel like there is an unmet 
the question was the demand for visualization uh, of these complexisms. Yeah, totally. I think um, monitoring is always a, a very hard part, and companies. Um, I were, at Akamai, we had a very good uh, monitoring system, and it makes it makes really all the difference in the world. Jeff talked about this in his talk a lot. I think the unsolved problem, though, is um, as these systems get more complex, the number of pieces of state that you might want to monitor also grows, and the how you choose what to monitor. Because most of the problems that you run into are not just going to be foreseen by graphing one discrete, you know, latency metric. It's it's you know uh, emergent. Uh, properties of two systems that you might not have anticipated interacting with each other. So just uh, some more science to how you select it given, you know, what the system is doing, how you select the, the things to monitor, which of which we can only, one human can pay attention to what, like seven of them at a time. So I think that's important. As far as how to visualize it, yeah, I don't know. Absolutely, we need more of it. That is without question. We do not understand how a computer works, and we're never going to understand how a computer works, but we can at least get better at it. <laughs> like, we can pretend. Um, there's a ton more work to be done there, and a lot of it is basic foundational stuff. Like, we don't really have a seriously good time series database, and everybody's built one, and they're all a piece of crap. Including, including Twitter's. We actually don't like it very much, but it's also the best one we've ever seen. And that's what's cool about it, and that's what's great about the observability stack. It's really hard. Observability becomes a very, very, um, whatever company you're at, it's always built very much like your company is. And it's very hard to pull those things out. Um, we have a really great tool called Zipkin that allows you to do tracing through our data center. But if you look at the architecture, literally nobody but Twitter could actually productionize it trivially, or somebody who's trying to replicate a lot of the Twitter architecture. I mean, it's Cassandra, Kestrel, um, and then like you got to have Finagle in your stack by default and some other stuff. And that is super, 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 you have to buy in on a whole bunch of technologies that is really hard to replicate elsewhere. And that's, um, I think there's, I don't know what's missing there. I don't know that we have to be thinking about the problem completely differently. But there is something to be said for the fact that we've had to rebuild at every single company as it grows the almost exact same stack with almost the exact same problems and almost the exact same visualization issues. There's something missing. And I don't know what it is, what metaphor we've missed, but there's there. And there does, that does mean that somebody, I'm going to use this word unironically, can innovate in that particular field. Now, maybe one of you will, please. Cool. So that about wraps us up. So big round of applause for the panel. And uh, let's continue with this awesome conference. Thanks, everybody.